plan your exit before you list and sell. Right? Oftentimes we do find people that are finding us or hearing about us when their hair is on fire or you know their deal's about to close or you know their CPA finally gives them that estimate that they've been waiting for that, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm paying this much in tax. And so I always say plan your exit plan, plan what you're gonna be doing, a 1031 exchange, a deferred sales trust, a charitable unit trust, an opportunity zone, right? Plan that, a Delaware statutory trust, before you plan your actual sale or before you actually list and sell or are under contract. Why? Because when you don't have time as a restriction, right, you're running out of time to make a decision, you can make better decisions. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. And when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview dive deeper and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, it's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations, and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Welcome to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. Today, I have a special guest, Brett Swartz. Brett Swartz is an expert in uh, deferred sales trust. Deferred sales trust or DSTs, sometimes confused with Delaware statute trust. Uh, we dive into some details or how you can structure your capital gains and defer them and, and really start effectively planning your tax strategy in seven, eight, nine figure exits. He gives some examples of some very huge exits that people have done, how they've been able to get themselves additional time. That's what the Deferred Sales Trust is very awesome at, is giving people time. People familiar with the 1031 exchange know that that is not necessarily the case. Time is your enemy in a 1031 exchange. Oftentimes, people take advantage of you. The Deferred Sales Trust gives you that. It gives you some more time to make appropriate uh, investment decisions. We dive into some details, some background. I've known Brett for 20, 30 years. Our families have played sports together. It has been more recent that I, we've connected on a professional level, and I'm excited for you to hear some of the very important details about tax strategy, especially those that have capital gains. They're looking for those passive wealth principles. Welcome to today's show, Brett Swartz. Hey, everyone, jumping into Catching Knives podcast. You get the privilege of talking or listening to Brett Swartz. He's got his own podcast show where he goes into tremendous amounts of, of depth. 
capital gains tax solutions. I have known Brett, has it been 30 years? Probably that about that long, Jake. Yeah. I mean, with, with the family and the connections, I mean, we could probably say we've had a connection all our lives, but yeah, I think 30, about 30 years with your brothers and my cousins and Delaro High School and Rockland High School and sports and construction and real estate. Yeah, that's, that's a fair summary, I think. Yeah. So it's like one of these people, and it was, it was interesting because like, I want to say, you know, after kind of high school and, you know, people go out and do their different paths and their different directions. And we reconnected. I, I think I saw like a LinkedIn page. I saw something else and you were talking about real estate. And I was like, wait, I do real estate. I do commercial real estate. Like, oh, what are you, what are you doing, Brett? And uh, we kind of reconnected and that's been the last few years. So before we get into what you're doing right now, the capital gains tax solution, I'd like to take people back to your genesis of, you know, investing. I mean, maybe if that's adolescence or or teenage years, but whatever that is for you, if you can kind of walk us through how you started investing. Yeah, I fell in love with real estate at a young age. My mom and dad introduced me to rentals and construction and development. And I remember my brother and I, we would be with the job site with my dad and, you know, building houses in Mission San Jose, Fremont area. I call this the MC Hammer days, like we literally had the MC Hammer pants and we had our tool belts, like legit, like legit leather tool belts. And my dad would have us, you know, first move bricks, then hammer nails. And then as we advanced, we'd help push up the drywall. We'd be climbing on roofs, scaffolding, all, I mean, crazy stuff that looking back on it, there were some times where we've, we could have really seriously gotten hurt. My brother, at some point he was driving the Bobcat and he was moving dirt. I remember him being on the edge of like this, you know, he's, I think he was filling in a pool or something and he was tilting and he's screaming. My dad's running up, tell him just to pull it back. My dad let us kind of run free, right? My mom was the one who was protecting us, like the compassionate. My dad's like, get on there and uh, let's come figure it out. And so we fell in love with real estate, the, the project from the ground up to completion and uh, fell in love with cash flow and ways to build wealth as an entrepreneur. So that was the very beginning. That shifted into going to a college and getting an education and and learning that I wanted to study business but wasn't sure how that would relate to real estate per se. I didn't really know that. I was, you know, playing basketball and scholarship and I had I was, you know, having fun um, just kind of being a college kid. But then I got introduced from my cousin, actually, who is also a good friend of yours, Nick Davidson, um, to a company called Marcus and Millichap, which led me to taking an internship to start to learn about multifamily underwriting, negotiating, brokerage um, here in Roseville, California. And that's began my love for the other side, the more of the business side of things versus just the construction and the cash flow rentals. So what was your first investment deal? Obviously, you, you, as your dad building, doing things, working on those. But when was it like Brett did his first deal? Yeah. So the first one was a $135,000 house in Roseville, California in 2011. My wife and I um, bought the property and I remember taking the the sledgehammer, even that it was like even like the day before close. It was a foreclosure, so I was like, oh, no one's gonna know. But like we were so excited to start to add value and start to improve the property that we're already hammering down the walls. And uh, so that was 2011. We had done some smaller passive 
pieces into some other deals prior to that as uh, either we had found a deal or we had, we had brokered a deal and I had rolled some, you know, some funds in there. So, but that, that first one was really that, that, that small foreclosed house in Roseville, California. So 2011, your first investment, Marcus Millichap, that internship, is that 2006? Yeah. So, I mean, we had done smaller, again, investments, you know, rolling our commission to a deal, finding a deal or or raising some capital and being a part of the GP side, just small slivers. Okay. Right. There was a deal in in Arizona. I remember actually uh, Josh Fallen was one of his, his first big ones with his company after he left Marcus and Millichap was for a property in Arizona. It was 50% built and then complete 50% vacant. And it was during the the crash, you know, crash of everything. This is like 2010. So I, I kind of sourced the deal and found the deal and then rolled my fee into the deal. And then Josh took over as the syndication operator extraordinaire that he is. And he, I mean, literally crushed it. That deal was, I think, six and a half million all in, bought it at five, put another million and a half into it. 13 months later, sold it for $13 million. And then your mind explodes. You're like, what? Now, again, I was a very, very small sliver of this, okay? <laughs> but that was that was part of what I was trying to do. Broker deals, find deals, understand deals, you know, on that kind of level and just try to get a little bit in the game of getting on the other side of the phone versus just, just brokering deals, if that makes sense. Which is interesting because my book is about some of those things as far as investing into those distressed deals. So, I mean, if 2010, 2011, 2012, there was distress everywhere. And it was, call it kind of shooting fish in the barrel mm-hmm. because it was kind of like looking at what fantastic deal do you want? Is the, And you had to like, all of them were fantastic deals. And I mean, hindsight, I, I wish I would have bought more. But the reality is, is that your brokerage experience kind of clued you into that. So talk to me about how from 2006, Marcus and Millichap sourcing deals led to your, you know, uh, what education did you experience before you got the enough to go do your first deal on your own? You know, what I found out is that you don't, you don't, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems, right? So we all have these big aspirations of owning commercial real estate or raising capital or finding deals or doing the deals and being on that other side. But until you have the systems and process and team in place, you're really not going to get there, right? Unless, unless you completely leave and burn the ships behind you and go all in as an investor versus trying to be a broker and do both. And so that was one thing I had to kind of really wrestle with. And in the meantime, too, uh, married and babies start to come. Okay. And in fact, we have five babies now, five kids now. And, and so was life takes over in a lot of ways in when, when you're young, when I was younger and I first started at Marcus Mailchap, I was single. Right. And you have like as much time, you don't realize you take that for granted, how much time and energy you have as a single person versus married and then married with kids and then multiple kids. And so I had to um, really let go of, of doing the thing all myself and, be, and delegate and build a team. And now we have five full-time team members, strategic alliances across the, you know, across the nation. And then we, we have two podcasts, two companies, and we're, we're building a lot of different things. And so it wasn't until I became the leader who knew how to delegate that I could go on the other side of doing those other things, right? Such as owning real estate or, or raising capital or, of course, doing deferred sales trust and doing podcasts. So 
it wasn't like a moment in time, but it was kind of like learning the lessons hard. And I'm like a tortoise versus the hair, Jake. I wish I would have learned this earlier, right? And I wish I would have delegated earlier. And I wish I would have used virtual assistants earlier and would have been on YouTube earlier and podcasting earlier. Trying to maximize versus just cold calling outbound versus inbound, which is creating education and content and trying to, and trying to really empower people with, with the knowledge that we have, Jake, right? So had I done those things earlier, uh, I think I would have been further along. I'm not sure quite if that answers the question, but I just wanted to throw that out there. You mentioned a lot of awesome things, you know, uh, as far as utilizing, creating content, utilizing, you know, VAs, delegation, uh, uh, you know, the systems that you've put in place. How many of those did you learn or had to kind of um, put in place? And, and I know that Marcus Millichap is not essentially a W-2, but kind of a, a call of a W-2 or commission-based with a, a, a base salary plus some upside. And then how much of that, you know, or did you learn within Marcus and Millichap? And how much of it was you just having to go out and find this and discover these things on your own? Great question. So it's always a mixture of both, but I would say Marcus and Millichap, what I learned there for five full time, you know, five full time years, you know, 50 to 60 hour weeks was the way to communicate, cold call, and get past the fear of of reaching out to people, but as well as finding ways to solve problems and add value in a way that actually is worth their time for when they take your call or meet with you. And so it taught me problem solving on a, on a, I like to say the Navy SEAL level, because I had some amazing mentors and coaches that helped me do that. And the, the value representation and negotiation and structuring deals and thinking outside the box and finding ways to make, you know, to try to bring a deal together. Now you also saw that modeled with some people, but even then like people had assistants or assistants, right. Who helped them with certain things. But people didn't scale to that level, especially, I mean, this is 2006, 2011. Like, I mean, virtual assistants, I don't even know if we even really heard of or even thought of going and working on that capacity. And so it wasn't until I think I started to, to really dive into different books, different, different ways of doing things, being in the podcast world. I think that taught me that as well. So kind of figuring out, but then quickly learning that once I figure something out, to not do that myself, but to delegate that, that just, it's almost like the, the, the hard knocks, right? Like the first time you do a remodel, I'm glad I did the remodel the first time myself so that I knew what to look for, the questions to ask and the way to prepare and plan, but then quickly delegate and push that to somebody else because otherwise it can be all consuming again, right? Or, or you're only doing it halfway. It's part of why I hired uh, your guys' team, right? To do my houses and um, and and to to do that. So hopefully that answers the question too, right? So it's definitely a mix. So w- when was that big aha moment, you know, for you? Or was there an aha moment that you decided, hey, you needed to get out of outside of Marcus, uh, do your own thing? Or I, I mean, it needs. So maybe let's unpack that a little bit as far as your transition, two thousand eleven to the kind of these next phases of your life. And then if there is an aha or you're just forced into something else, kind of talk us that next level of your experience. Yeah, so the journey was definitely not just uphill all the way. It was definitely, I mean, uphill with the challenge all the way, but it was this big roller coaster. I mean, I'm I'm on this side of success now, but my journey, even at Marcus and Millichap, when the 2008 crash hit, I went from making a little bit of money to almost like nothing overnight. 
And I don't know if you've ever been so scared, you're not sure how you're going to provide for your family. Well, that's where I was. I looked up and all of a sudden I had been successful in sports and college, two degrees and a minor, even successful at Marcus and Millichap until the crash. And then all of a sudden it's 100% commission, no, you know, no, no, w, no, no, no salary, no benefits. And I had to adjust and I had to get two side job hustles uh, nights and weekends. And that's where began my um, Cheesecake Factory career, where I worked as a server nights and weekends. So by day, I'd make cold calls to Marcus and Millichap. And by night, I'd be serving cheesecake, hoping that clients were going to be coming in the other room that I was trying to pitch them on their $3 million sale. And that was a two-year, you know, nights and weekends, burning the candle at both ends. And and that that also helped me to adapt to think about how do I change my value proposition for clients and entered the deferred sales trust and my business manager actually spoke at Marcus Milch. I was where I met, I met him in Roseville on this concept of a future in tax deferral that they've already proven that most people don't know about. And we sat there going, is this, this, is this the future? Is this the Netflix versus the blockbuster way of doing things? And I believed it could be. And, but I, I slowly tested it out. I slowly started to see my business grow fast forward that transition, there was kind of a new leadership change at Marcus and Millichap where the old leadership change was open to the deferred sales trust. The new one wasn't. In fact, the new one didn't want me to talk about it. They told me to stop talking about it. I'm going, but I'm getting meetings with people that I would never meet with before. I'm developing relationships. And I think this can solve the problem for people who literally lost half or everything because of the 1031 exchange. And you're telling me not to talk about it when these people are losing their entire net worth or feeling forced to overpay for properties that they know these cap rates don't make any sense. And I go, that doesn't make any sense to me. You guys told me to add value and solve problems for the last four and a half, five years. And now you're telling me to not talk about something that could be the Netflix to Blockbuster, right? And so I remember we we had this like debate and then they brought in the, the, the extra manager and we had another debate. And in fact, that led basically to the separation of, of me and Marcus and Milichap, unfortunately, right? I loved them, but I also was, uh, the new leadership changed that. And so that's when I actually joined Josh Boland's uh, company and, uh, and then grew the business there and then shifted into my own company. And then now I'm with EXP Commercial for a whole other amazing amount of reasons. But uh, that's kind of the journey. So I always say it wasn't always easy. And it's a part of that journey that I learned these innovative uh, ways to solve problems. And I'm glad that I'm on this other side now so I could could share that with people, as many people as I can, so they don't have to feel, you know, trapped by capital gains tax or trapped in a an old way of doing business. And hopefully that answers the question, Jake, or any thoughts there? Yeah, no, that's that's super helpful. And actually that brought up one of the points is I'd like you to go into, you know, deferred sales trust. And obviously you have the capital gains tax solution. And that is kind of like you said, you know, the, the, the Netflix first blockbuster, the, the fact that when you had the, you know, saw firsthand buying a $5 million building, put a million dollars in it and then selling it for 13 million, like all of a sudden you're like, your head's kind of blown, mind's blown. I think the first time I heard about deferred sales trust was similar. Like it was just like, what, this is crazy. Like light bulb, mind blown. So dive into that. You know, and, and I know you being an expert, you know, take us through that and, and take some time to get into the nuances of what is a deferred sales trust. Absolutely. We'll start with the big, big challenge that's facing America and a lot of wealth in the cryptocurrency world. 
a lot of wealth with baby boomers who, who according to the American Bankers Association, have the largest amount of wealth that's going to transfer from one gen- generation to the next in the next 20 years. In fact, it's somewhere around 17 to $20 trillion or more now with where values are at with the stock market, with real estate, with cryptocurrency. And in fact, there's about 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every single day. Okay, and there's about 77 million baby boomers in the U.S. alone. So, Jake, these are our parents, right? And they're going to be passing their wealth to the millennials, right, to us in the next 18 to 20 years. Like, this is, this is happening. And, and in the history of the planet, we know of no other time that more wealth has been accumulated by one group, and it's going to transfer, okay? And it's that transfer where, guess what? There's tax. If it's not properly planned for, and you, we don't use the rules that the IRS gives us to do this, okay? And so enter that big challenge. And what is that challenge? Well, the gain of those assets are primary residences, commercial real estate, businesses, cryptocurrency is somewhere between 30 and 50% of that gain is going to be wiped out by capital gains tax and depreciation recapture, depending on the state in which you live in. Now, Biden is also, the, the administration is proposing to increase the federal from 20 to 25 to 26 to 28. So you could say that 30 to 50 is more like 38 to 58. It's kind of the range. So that's staggering, right? You've built up your wealth. You have, you have, you, you're a dentist. We just helped a dentist in, in New Jersey who sold their dental practice after practicing for 25 years, right? And we helped them defer 40% because they had a zero basis of their, out of their asset sale. And literally, that's 40% extra that they can cash flow and, and retire on and give to their grandkids or their kids or whatever, give to people who need it the most versus that ta- all that capital going to a government, let's, let's be honest, both sides, no matter what side you fall on, aren't very efficient with our tax dollars, okay? And so the government gives us legal ways to defer tax, like an IRAs, like 401ks, like 1031 exchanges, and like the Deferred Sales Trust on sale of highly appreciated assets that the Deferred Sales Trust is a focus on, right? That allows us to defer the tax. And so I want you to make it, keep it really simple, right? If you have an IRA, what can you do? Well, you, you, can, you can fund that IRA, right? You can get some pre-before tax dollars to, to grow for this retirement. Well, the Deferred Sales Trust, I want you to think about, you could fund your trust on the sale of a highly appreciated asset. What's our minimum? Typically $1 million net proceeds, $1 million gain. That's what we found to make a lot of sense for this. Okay, so it needs to be a bigger deal. But you can fund the trust and you can defer the tax and you can slowly receive payments and pay tax along the way. So it's really that simple. It's an installment sale. And that's where people mostly can who know about this. It's a seller carryback. Like if Jake has an apartment complex for $10 million in Sacramento that he wants to sell, he's owned it for 30 years, it's fully depreciated, and he has no debt. Jake, you can finance me if I came to you off the street and I gave you a million dollar down payment. You could carry back paper for nine million and therefore you only own tax on what you received, right? You're in a, you're in a deferral state on the other nine. Now, as I make payments, you'll pay tax on that. That's exactly what we're doing, except we're adding a trust to the equation and we're asking, let's say, Joe, the buyer at 10 million to bring all of the cash at closing and you, Jake, are going to finance the trust 100%, Okay. The trust is going to buy your asset for $10 million and sell it for $10 million. So the trust establishes a new basis, and you receive a promissory note. So you trade it yourself being an owner to becoming a lender. And it's that act of, of changing that it allows the deferred sales trust freedom and transformation to come out. So I'm going to pause there, make sure you're getting those basics so far, and then we can move into the, the blockbuster Netflix version of this. 
yeah. So let me let me unpack that for a few people, and also for just my own general uh, sake. So you have an asset. You you bought it. You know, twenty years ago for a nickel. You know, because that's what you could buy an apartment building in downtown wherever. You know, you could go buy it for a nickel. Now, inflation and the government printing a bunch of money and call it societal differences, apartments are worth significantly more money. And so now that's worth $10 million. And so what you're doing is by setting up this deferred sales trust is creating a, you know, a a mechanism or blocker, so to speak, for somebody to sell their asset for that $10 million, but not realize all of those gains. So if you were to realize the $10 million gain, you would have to pay the taxes or do some alternative. In commercial real estate or real estate in general, you have a 1031 exchange. 1031 exchange is, you know, they're talking about making that go away, but it probably won't go away. You know, we can dive into that a little bit later, but a way to not realize that gain. This is now the deferred sales trust creates and puts into a trust that trust gains the $10 million, but Joe apartment owner didn't realize that. So they haven't realized the $10 million gain. So they aren't touching it kind of similar to like an intermediary of a 1031 exchange is they physically haven't received receipt of those funds. So they're not being taxed on that. That's kind of how I generally understand it, is that kind of in tracking, you sell something, you put this trust in between it, they realize, you know, that that gain, even though it's in, it's at the same cost basis, that, you know, it protects Jake, you know, apartment owner that bought it for a nickel. And now you have some uh, interesting ways in which to splice out uh, the future uh, of that. You absolutely nailed it. I almost couldn't say it better than myself, Jake. You nailed it. That's exactly right. And that just leads into the differences between the 1031 exchange, what we call Blockbuster versus Netflix. So Jake, do you remember going to Blockbuster on a Friday night? Maybe it was in Rockland, maybe it was in Roseville, maybe it was in Auburn. And you're excited because you got that movie that you want to get. And you, you're, it, it, was, just came. It, was, it was in Rockland on Granite Drive. There it is. Okay. Mine was, mine was uh, Sunset. And um, the Bel Air, right? The Bel Air, uh, like Stanford Ranch, like right there. That was like our go-to. Had like the Taco Bell. You you get your taco on and then you go over to Blockbuster and get your video. And so you're all excited to get the video, right? And then it's not there. Or like it's right there and you're about to grab it, but someone's two steps ahead of you and they grab it off of that cardboard box. So the cardboard box is like, you know, up and then it's gone, right? So you're like, oh, man. Well, then you get that second video. You know, oh, you settle for the second one and, you know, and then you go home and it's not, re- you, can- you have to rewind it. You're like, oh, now I got to sit there and hit the rewind button. And you get- I remember I had that old VCR, Jake, where I had to like hold the button. Like huh. it wasn't like, I, we, we couldn't afford the one that was it held down by itself. So anyways, you rewind it, you watch it, it's great. But then it's four days or five days goes by and you forgot to return it. Then you return it and you get that fine little fee. You're upset and then you, get the re- you have to rewind it. Anyways, that's Blockbuster. That's like the 1031 exchange in that, you have like the shotgun wedding, right? You have the 45 days to get married, 180 days to get engaged, uh, to get uh, uh, 45 days to get engaged, 180 days to get married to close. It's these time restrictions. These these things where it puts you in a box. You have to do equal or greater value. It also doesn't work for 
primary homes. It doesn't work for cryptocurrency. It doesn't work for business sales, right? It doesn't work for artwork or collectibles. It only works for investment real estate. Well, that's like Blockbuster, right? And that's that can be a big challenge, right? And also, it uh, it doesn't. You can't go into unlike kind properties. In fact, you have to go into like kind investment real estate only, right? Whereas Netflix came along, and Netflix, you know what, Blockbuster, we have a better way of doing it. There's never going to be a checkout, right? You can you can watch any movie you want on demand. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to return it. There's some ongoing fees, right? There's some nuances there, but Blockbuster's gone, right? This is what the Deferred Sales Trust does, and that it allows you to buy whenever you want to, sell whenever you want to. Tax deferred, invest into multiple assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, hard money lending, real estate, ground up development, all tax deferred, okay? You can dollar cost average. There's no 45 day 180, right? It works for cryptocurrency. It works for primary homes. It works for businesses. It works for investment real estate. It can save a failed 1031 exchange, okay? It can do all of these things, okay? And the key is um, planning, right? The key is understanding it. Right. And like Netflix 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago at this point, we're getting old, Jake. Like we didn't know about it. And now it's like the foregone conclusion. Well, that's where the deferred sales trust is going. And you're right. They are proposing to potentially take away the 1031. It does appear that it's still going to be on the table, which is a good thing for us as investors and us as commercial real estate folks. Right. So it's a good thing. But in the future, what is your plan if they take it away? Or if you're not selling investment real estate anyways, or you don't want to overpay for properties right now, or we work with these big-time syndicators. We did a deal, a $20 million deal in Las Vegas. They were selling an apartment complex, and these two GPs wanted to exit and defer their tax. The rest of the folks wanted to get out, so they weren't going to do a 1031. Well, guess what? They were able to do the deferred sales trust. The rest of the folks paid, which is also a part of 1031 Blockbuster, and the whole entity must move. Whereas the deferred sales trust, the whole entity doesn't have to move. We can go their separate ways. So I'll pause there, make sure um, you're catching all that and see if you have any questions on that. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I, I tell you this, uh, there was probably, so, wow, I guess it's five years ago. Early 2018, I was speaking at a conference and I was up on a panel and somebody asked, and, and you know, you've probably heard things like this is, you know, where would you invest money if, you know, you know, you had a crystal ball in the next three years or five years, you know, where would you place your capital? And typically, you know, I've done some research on, on these and someone else, a real estate attorney was sitting on that panel and actually talked about, he would put money where opportunity zones are. And I sat there and I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and so same thing, exactly what you're tapping into is the laws change the code, you know, the, the way IRS is treating this. And I 100% agree with you. The 1031 exchange is, you know, people know and take advantage of you other people in the commercial real estate space. And I don't know, I'm sure you have stats, but it's something like you end up overpaying by like 20% when you're rolling a 1031 into your commercial deal, because people won't negotiate a lower price they, you know, stick you with, you know, crazy fees and, and you know, time periods. They won't negotiate on, on a lot of things because they know the alternative is you just fail and then you're paid with significant amount of taxes. So the, I, I would not say it's, it's Luddite, it's just that old blockbuster. And that's a fantastic analogy of, you know, you're left with what's available on the shelves in blockbuster is because real estate is scarce 
And what are the good deals that you would run and roll into and you take uh, this fantastic game? And I know a lot of owners have not sold their real estate because they didn't know where else to place it. They didn't want to expose themselves. And so the planning of taking in what you're doing, you know, a deferred sales, an alternative to the 1031 exchange. So if you could dive into like, what does that planning look like for someone that has a business, has, you know, I'd like you to first talk about that planning. And then you mentioned some other things, the cryptocurrency, which is unbelievable and web three and some other things. So let's first take it first bite. What are some of the planning that someone needs to do if they're thinking about a deferred or not necessarily deferred sales trust, but selling an asset that is appreciated a significant amount? Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, Two of the most common questions I get asked are, where can I find good deals to invest into? And is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guests on my show. If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. What are some of the planning that someone needs to do if they're thinking about a deferred, or not necessarily deferred sales trust, but selling an asset that is appreciated a significant amount. Excellent, Jake. Yeah. Uh, first thing is plan your exit before you list and sell. Right. Oftentimes, we do find people that are finding us or hearing about us when their hair is on fire, or you know their deal's about to close, or you know their CPA finally gives them that estimate that they've been waiting for. That oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm paying this much in tax. And so I always say, plan your exit plan, plan what you're going to be doing, a 1031 exchange, a deferred sales trust, a charitable unit trust, an opportunity zone, right? Plan that, a Delaware statutory trust, before you plan your actual sale or before you actually list and sell or are under contract. Why? Because when you don't have time as a restriction, right, you're running out of time to make a decision, you can make better decisions, okay? Second part of that is, it's an emotional deal to sell a multi-million dollar practice or cryptocurrency or business like it might be your biggest exit that has high stakes financial legacy future retirement so you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your cpa owes it to you to come on and vet the strategies and the opportunities and the options because guess what you have one opportunity typically right for folks we cannot mess this up right so Properly planning also is associated with the deferred sales trust because we need to set these things up before a certain time of the deal goes non-contingent, okay? Because once it goes non-contingent, when the buyers move all contingencies, even if it hasn't closed, it's too late for the deferred sales trust unless 
even you, you sent to a 1031 exchange. But remember, Blockbuster 1031 only works for investment real estate, which means we need to set it up prior to the buyer removing all contingencies on business sales. So we just did a business deal in Alabama for a, for a client of ours. He sold a $2.6 million business. His dream was to go and invest and build multifamily properties, which he's been able to do now, all tax deferred with the trust. And so the beauty of it was we set it up prior to the buyer removing all contingencies, getting everything in place. We also do something where uh, it's kind of unique, actually. Most people don't do this, but the my business partners and I, especially for this intense tax planning, we do this all at no charge, no obligation. There's no upfront cost, no upfront hourly fees, no obligation. If you don't use the trust, your deal falls apart. I mean, because deals can fall apart with buyers going different ways or lenders going different ways or whatever. You don't owe us anything, but we will do all the planning. We will form the trust. We will talk with your CPAs. We'll get it all up there. If it doesn't work out, no problem. But that's the biggest thing is just pre-planning so that you don't put yourself and or your spouse in an estate where, hey, oh my gosh, my I just learned about this deferred sales trust and you guys have already written the check in your mind that you're going to write a check for a million dollars, right, on a $3 million sale. And now someone's bringing you something that just seems too good to be true. And the other thing too is your CPA, you don't want them in the rear view mirror you want them in the passenger seat as you're going through these strategies because guess what? They helped you get here. And so you want to make sure that they're going through this process with you and not feeling like they're the outsider looking in, trying to pick up the pieces as you're going 100 miles an hour. So planning and pre-planning and bringing in your trusted professionals to help you get comfortable with this is the biggest thing that I've seen since I since I started to educate and tell people about the Deferred Sales Trust since 2009. And when you can do those things, it becomes really simple. You have a chance to talk with our clients, talk with um, the banks, talk with the financial advisors, talk with CPAs, talk with all of the team so that you can make an informed decision and you can sleep really well at night. So that, that would be the biggest thing, Jake. Any questions there, thoughts? No, it's just, it, I think that's very sage advice. There's been lots of times that I've had people frantic calling up about an opportunity zone, about a you know failed 1031 exchange, looking for alternatives or other deals. And you know, I've had CPAs blow up a lot of deals, like they were gonna go invest into a thing because it was moving too fast for them as far as to get their head wrapped around the structure or the deal or whatever. And so, I mean, the fact that you're saying bring these things up upfront, talking to uh, somebody about it before you exit. I had a friend and actually one of the other podcast guests on here, they put together a legacy trust before they sold their business. His happened to be a, a very, very significant kind of nine figure plus exit um, that he didn't have to pay taxes on at least yet, um, as far as setting those things up because he put that in and put the invested invested the business into that um, early on. So absolutely planning, planning, planning. But, you know, talk about some where you've saved some people because guess what? Not everybody's going to plan. And I know there are incidents of where you've had people like hair on fire you know, uh, oh my gosh, what do I do? So talk me through a few times of that you've been able to help somebody. Like what what have you done that you just thought it was like the craziest deal? Uh, yeah, I think one of the most recent ones was for uh, two clients. We'll tell both stories. One, he's working in Silicon Valley for 20 years. He and his wife, his wife is an, an attorney. He's working for a tech company and they're doing well financially, 
but they're also looking for ways to spend more time with their kids, travel the world, and do some other things with their life versus just you know trading time for dollars. And what they found was that by investing in cryptocurrency, they have an opportunity to get exponential returns over the years. And so there was two in particular, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Also, this gentleman, his name is Peter, won't lose his last name, but his name is Peter. He'll let me, he'll let me share that. He really believed in the, in the, in the future of Ethereum at a, at a very early adoption um, stage. So he started to just dollar cost average a couple thousand a month into Ethereum. And he kept holding and holding and holding. Well, his about, I don't know, $100,000 of investment turned into $6 million in 2017, okay? And so, like most people, they're like, oh my gosh, about a $5.9 million gain. And by the way, this is the first time he actually told his, his wife about, because he was doing kind of small amounts. Hey, by the way, I've been investing in this thing. What is the thing? That's a cryptocurrency. Well, what's the value? Well, it's like $6 million. She's like, sell it all. He's like, well, hold on. There's a future for this thing, okay? I think it's going to go higher. However, yes, let's sell some of it, but there's a huge tax. Let's solve that first. And so, okay, so they compromise. They're going to sell some of it, but there's a tax situation. They get to solve for that. So they start working through this scenario. Well, by the time they couldn't find anything, guess what happened? It fell off a cliff, right? It, it went all the way back down. They're devastated. They're frustrated. That literally represented the chance for them to exit, okay? Fast forward, uh, 2000 and about 21-ish um, uh, values go to $9 million, okay? And now they're like, oh my gosh, we're all the way back. Oh, here's the thing. They had the fortitude to not sell. They had the conviction of the future of Ethereum to not sell. And so now it goes to $9 million. So now they're, now they're up additional three. They find us, like most people, skeptical, okay? They're going to sell some of it. But they're going through this process. And as they're going through their due diligence, no one had ever done a deferred sales trust uh, cryptocurrency deal ever before. It had only been done for businesses and real estate. By the way, deferred sales trust goes back 25 years, thousands of closes, a dozen no-change IRS audits. So it's been perfect in the past, but it's never done for crypto. So they're cautious in the security of it and all of this kind of thing. But they were very urgent to sell. They wanted to get this thing done because they didn't want to have to go through the crash all over again. Like this literally represented them not ever having to work again. So I sit down with them. We're in the Oakland Hills. They have this beautiful house in this valley. And I sit down with them and I go to them. We've been to multiple calls with the tax attorneys, CPAs, everything. Like, where are you at here? Like, well, we just really want to understand like what our return's going to be. Like, what does this look like? I'm like, well, what are you guys making now? They're making about $600,000 in income right now. And I go, okay, well, um, I go, what's the, what's the value? The value is about $9 million, right? And this is as of like, it was two weeks ago that I had the $9 million. They're like, actually, he opens his phone. He goes, it's actually at $13 million. I'm like, are you serious? It's gone from nine to 13 in two weeks. He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So it's like $13 million, okay? And you would have paid about you know 30% or so, maybe 33% in tax, depending. Um, so $4.29 million if you're to sell it all right now. I go, but at 13 million, we're typically around 8% return. That's about a million and 40. So if you were to sell to tomorrow, you never have to work again. This is what it means for you. Like we could literally sell, put it in conservative real estate, stock market investments, very conservative. That's the transformation it can help for you. So like any story, right? There's these ups and downs. So they're finally like, okay, I think, I think we're in. Like, you know, they're methodical. Well, guess what happens between the 13 million it drops like by the time they didn't like, you know, sign the documents. Well, actually at that point they signed, they're ready to go. But then we had to open up the account at Kraken, which is like a Coinbase 
okay? And that began a whole process of about 70 days of who are we? Are we laundering money? Is this legal? They wanted to make sure they had the KYCs. They had a KYC myself, my wife, our company, da 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 da, da all this stuff. But 13 million drops to six, okay? And their hearts are like ripped out again. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I wish we would have moved this thing faster, but we couldn't move until you set it up because Kraken can't open until you have an EIM. Here's the good news. About a month goes by and the value goes back up. And so they literally sold, transferred five of the about 13 million within one hour on a Saturday as I was driving to Walnut Creek to do some continuing education class. He calls me, he's like, hey, Brett, it's here. Overnight, it hit our value. I'm like, oh my gosh. He's like, are you buying Starbucks? I'm like, I can be, but that's not secure Wi-Fi. And so I, I was like, dude, we can write a book on this. This is crazy. Let me just give you the, the launch codes over my phone as you're logging in. So we went through this whole thing. He transferred the 5 million. He went on to do it. He liked it so much that about uh, about 30 days ago, he did another 2.5 million. So now there's 7.5 million, all tax deferred. And so I'll pause there. I know that's a big, long story, but but I just want to share that. That enables him to never have to work again. He's quit his W-2 job, okay? His wife never has to work again. All because they found the deferred sales trust and they held to their conviction of the future of the value, but also had a plan, a target exit price to actually exit, right? So there's a number of things that are going on there, but, but they were able to, to do that and, and now they're free. They never have to work again. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, crazy. I, I'm hearing more and more of those stories about people with cryptocurrency. There were... Well, uh, I'll tell you an interesting story about that. They did not do a deferred sales trust. The person actually did some nefarious activities and spent spent some time on in prison. But because of some of these nefarious activities, had done a lot of trading in Bitcoin and had it on a hard drive or a USB, and then came out of prison several years later and now had millions of dollars in cryptocurrency, not from, you know, the things, but just was early on in the space, you know, and traded and did other things like that and end up with seven, $8 billion or something like that went away. But then there's actually people that do like quality investments. And I got friends that are thinking about moving to Puerto Rico, going to live in Puerto Rico to go look at that and look all these other things. Super, super complex to avoid these taxes. And, and I think what you just mentioned, the deferred sales trust gives them a fantastic opportunity to not have to go move. I mean, I actually been to Puerto Rico a few times now. It is awesome. I mean, if you want to go awesome surf and hang out in an island, there's probably worse places to be. Uh, but if you also want to stay and hang out with your friends and your family, this I think gives you an alternative to that. And, and it's, it's very, very interesting, exciting to see that. Let me mention one thing on that real fast too, by the way. Yeah, we actually say we're like, you know, Puerto Rico is cool, but it's like blockbuster. It's like Hollywood video. Like it's it's like the ah, like I don't want to have to force to move my family over there. The second thing, though, real quick though, is estate tax. So deferred sales trust or 1031 exchanges, we're dealing with capital gains tax, generally speaking, if it's a year or more holdings, although we can do short term as well. If it's less than a year where the 1031 cannot. But the other thing to worry about is estate tax. So I have a client right now, she works for Google, same thing, okay. 50,000 of Bitcoin went to 50 million, okay? She, she, she just transferred 5 million over, but we believe that Bitcoin likely or can potentially go to 
100,000, $150,000, $200,000 a coin. And so I'm talking to her about, it's not just about capital gains tax deferral anymore, it's about a state tax. So how do we move it outside the taxable estate without having to give it all the way to charity, buy a bunch of life insurance? And so even if you go to Puerto Rico and you slowly pull it out, it doesn't change your estate tax. And so I did a video on YouTube called the $100 million Bitcoin you know, solved, where it's not just capital gains tax, it's selling and transferring it outside your taxable estate. So we have something called the DST 2.0, which essentially allows you to transfer. And upon one transfer, we just did a deal in Colorado for a $5 million apartment owner. Actually, there were $25 million couple out of California, but they owned a $5 million apartment complex in Colorado. And they sold it. And the biggest reason they used it, the Deferred Sales Trust was because it moved it outside their taxable estate. And that's going to save 40% for those who are wondering. 40% of anything above the exclusions, 22 million married, 12 million single, set to expire in 2025 and be cut in half or go lower. Anything above and beyond that is subject to 40% death tax. Doesn't matter if you have the stepped up basis. Doesn't matter if you've done 1031 exchanges. And that's the elephant in the room, right? That goes back to that American Bankers Association, the biggest wealth transfer in the history of the planet. So if you're a cryptocurrency millionaire, multi-millionaire, tens of millions of dollars, capital gains tax is just the tiger by the tail. You need the Deferred Sales Trust 2.0 so you can move it outside your taxable estate. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I mean, man, I feel like I could dive into some of these things as I get really, I don't know, maybe I'm one of the only few people, obviously, I think you and I have had some of these conversations that get into like geek out on tax codes and how to, you know, it, it is not to not pay taxes, but you know, it is to, yeah, well, kind of, it is to utilize the laws that are written understand them and then appropriately apply the laws that to, that benefit you. I have lots of friends that are now making over a million dollars a year and some of them in sales commissions. And I think you've seen that as well. Real estate agents or commissioned salespeople that are getting hammered. They're paying five, $600,000 a year in taxes living in California. And you're just like, what, you know, if you could better plan your taxes you know, you could set yourself up to be financially free in years versus an entire decade or lifetime's worth. And obviously something like this, the Deferred Sales Trust is putting some of these alternatives in place. And so it's just, why are the rich getting richer? Well, because they educate themselves. They spend the time to dive into these details. They hire the people that are better at understanding these certain items. And so just as you said, doing the work on your first remodel, getting the experience of, of doing that, where the mistakes and what you need to ask of the next levels. There's certain value to that. But I also don't think that you should go and do some of your own estate or death tax planning, you know, and try it out, you know, while be like, well, that didn't work out. And we still had to pay 40% in taxes go hire people that already know how to do this and have been through that and use the experience and the wealth and knowledge that they've gone through in many different facets. So. And by the way, let me tell you that, by the way, just so you know too, I'm just like the nurse. I'm the trustee, third-party unrelated trustee. This is what we do for the Deferred Sales Trust. So it'll help you with the transaction and the general check you in for surgery. But the brain surgeon is literally the smartest person I've ever met. He's like the Beethoven of tax. And he created this 25 years ago, right? I'm only 38, so I was young. Like I wasn't, you know... He's brilliant. He worked for Arthur Anderson before the Enron days. Like he's 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 so smart, and he's the one who actually had his clients and the clients of the Deferred Sales Trust. 
face the IRS, and then overcome all of those with no change audits. And they provide lifetime audit defense. And so even me, like I, I'm just going to help you introduce you to them, right? And and then as a team, we all work together to make this thing work. And that's the key here is, is hiring the who, not being the how. And you're right. On a house on a remodel, the cool thing is, you know, it, it's, it's the stakes are pretty low, right? I mean, you, you know, if you mess something up, you have a plumber come fix it, or I don't do plumbing work, but you're, you know, you, you, construction stuff, you can have them come fix some stuff. But on this other stuff, yeah, you don't want to mess it up. You are working with the IRS, and you want to make sure you're working with somebody who has a literally a perfect track record, and that's what the Deferred Sales Trust has, and lifetime audit defense, Jake. That's awesome. I, I feel like we could keep talking for hours on this. Uh, and maybe I'm the only person that is interested in talking about this stuff for hours. I know it bores my wife to tears, but, uh, if people are looking for more information about this, they want to go talk to Brett, how can they find you? What's the best place, uh, to, to connect with you and, you know, any kind of action items that uh, people can take away from this. Absolutely. So I was just looking for my book. I'm coming out with a book. It's called Building a Tax-Deferred Exit Plan. So this is going to be coming out on Amazon. It's going to be coming out. You can get the book. It's about 30 days away, okay? This is actually just the proof copy, okay? So I'm doing the final edits, but look for this, Building a Tax-Deferred Exit Strategy. And it's the proven playbook for unlocking your ideal wealth plan when selling assets of any kind for yourself or your clients. It's packed with some amazing people like Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, um, like Robert Binkley, the co-founder of the Deferred Sales Trust, like David Young, former um, uh, executive VP at PIMCO, and he had to overcome the false police of the Deferred Sales Trust. Kevin Bupp, Joe Fairless, uh, Michael Blanc, Neil Bawa, um, gosh, Don Einhorn, uh, Dan Hanford, Tyler McBoom, who runs with uh, Tony Robbins. He's like his CPA for Tony Robbins, and so many other people. So, And it's all about how to, how to build wealth, how to defer tax, and how to use multifamily investing as, as, as another way to, to build wealth. So you can check that out. And you can go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com for all of that. You can search my YouTube channel, my podcast, Capital Gains Tax Solutions. If you are a business professional, you can experttaxsecrets.com as well if you want to learn how to use this to grow your business and help your clients out. Awesome, Brett. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for the way that you always are showing up, giving uh, value to, to so many others and obviously spending time hanging out. And well, enjoy watching Netflix this week, obviously, because there is no blockbuster that you need to go. And I don't think you eat Taco Bell that often anymore. At least <laughs> it's I those don't. coyotes now, baby, right? No, for, a, it, for a $15 burrito, that's about a little bit smaller these days, but still really good. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you and uh, good seeing you. Yeah, hey, you too. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.RealEstate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. 
go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.